If you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash hardfork today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hardfork. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. My guest today is Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey. Like me, she's a feisty lesbian who likes taking on big power players. Whether it's her hundred lawsuits against the Trump administration, her decision to hold the Sacklers personally accountable for the opioid crisis, or her ongoing investigations into the impact of Meta and TikTok on kids. Healey is hoping these wins will put her on track for a new job, governor. She's declared her candidacy in the Bay State's 2022 race. So I wanted to ask Healy, a Democrat, how she can win a state that's mostly gone for Republican governors in recent years, and whether she thinks she's achieved enough justice in her AG job. But first, I wanted to dig into a topic that's close to both of our hearts, the clampdown on the rights of the LGBTQ plus community in red states. A note that my voice was a little worse when we taped this interview. Maura Healy, welcome to Sway. Kara, great to be with you. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Florida right now. It's obviously personal to me. I have four children, not because we live in Florida, but under Florida's parental rights education bill, which opponents have called the Don't Say Gay bill. Teachers and staff would be prohibited from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity with kids in elementary school. So talk about the, the use of this argument for parental rights, which has been used several times before and, and a lot by the GOP? Well, you know, it's a ruse. Let's call it what it is. It's an effort to weaponize people's sort of fear. There's a lot of misinformation. I think as a member of the gay community for a long time now, we've seen our community used as political footballs. So that's what's going on here. But it is hurtful. It is discriminatory against LGBTQ kids. And here we have Governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott in Texas taking us backwards on the backs of our trans kids, of our LGBTQ community, of women, right? Because look at what they've also done with access to abortion. And what I say to people is you can talk the talk about equality, but it's about where you put your money, too. I have a lot of friends who vacation in Florida, who spend time in Florida. I understand that, Kara. But I think people need to take a hard look at what's going on right now and decide, is this where I'm going to spend my money? Listen, I took my conference out of Florida. I had a conference there this February. I'm not doing it again. It's one thing to say that and say it's the wrong thing, but it's working. This effective argument for parental rights. Talk a little bit about what they're trying from a legal point of view, if you were fighting it and whether you would. Well, I think you have to fight it both legally, but you also have to fight it in the court of public opinion. And you really have to call out the misinformation for what it is. So I think legally, for those of us in states where we have strong anti-discrimination laws on the books, let's make sure that we are enforcing them. Let's make sure that we are joining together with 
entities like the U.S. Department of Justice in challenging some of these efforts. Because again, this gets to attacks on LGBTQ kids on the basis of their sexual identity, their sexual orientation, their gender identity. And so that raises serious civil rights issues. I mean, imagine in Florida, you're now going to be calling on folks to sue school districts for taking steps to protect the ability of a young person to learn in a healthy environment. That's interfering with your access education, and it's interfering with your right as a parent to look after and provide for the well-being of your child. But it also allows parents to sue. I mean, when you look at it, you must go, huh, smart. Well, you're not smart because look at Texas and SBA. So one of the things that the legislators in Texas did was to come up with this law that's basically created a bounty hunter system and said, private citizens, you're going to be allowed to sue people who you know who are providing abortion. And they're doing the same thing. Now it's a, I mean, it's really sick, right? Because we see the chilling effect that those lawsuits have. So how do you push back on it? You sue. You sue. And I know that I will join with others in court in lawsuits, in support of lawsuits, challenging these really unconstitutional and discriminatory laws. And while that works its way through the system, we really have to fight and change the court of public opinion. So I also appeal to the business community in this time to be clear about where they stand. And I know there's a risk in doing that, but you know, we've got to fight it in the courts, court of public opinion, and we've also got to fight it in the boardrooms. Well, you saw Disney not pushing back and then pushing back later, a little too late, which was, I think, a real stain for them. Um, but are you surprised after you did this marriage equality law a long time ago? Are you surprised this is back? Am I surprised? No. Am I surprised after after the Trump years and all that we witnessed? I'm sadly, I'm, I'm not surprised. It's It's where we are right now in this country. I have faith in this country. But people have really got to, I think, start speaking up and, and standing up for one another. Is there a risk of losing marriage equality? I don't think so. I mean, I think that what we know in the last um, 10 years, the last five years, people are used to it, right? Well, so is Roe v. Wade. Well, yeah, that is true. That is true. But I think that marriage equality is more secure than actually access to safe and legal abortion. It saddens me. I mean, both should be respected and affirmed under the law. But I'm pretty confident, given where we are with families and and how marriage equality has been more institutionalized and and normalized across so many states, that 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 is here. It's interesting. So I I question if marriage equality will stick. I don't know why. I just have this feeling. I'm sorry. Are you married? No, no, I haven't been married, but I'm proud to support those who are and certainly work to try to do my part to support marriage equality. Yeah, but you've had a longtime partner, correct? Uh, I had, yes. Oh, you did. Okay. Um, yeah. I've been married twice, so I do, I do a lot of gay <laughs> marrying for everybody else. Um, so I want to run through a number of areas you've had uh, some traction as attorney general in Massachusetts, going after Purdue Pharma, your investigations into big tech and your take on Trump. So let's start with the Sacklers and the opioid crisis. And you were the first attorney general to go after the Sackler family. In 2021, a settlement was reached for the Sacklers to pay $4.5 billion but not admit guilt. You've rejected an earlier settlement proposal and really pushing for admission of wrongdoing from the family. But you seem to change your mind on that. When did you decide, okay, this is probably the best we're going to get? And I'll talk about the new settlement in a minute. Well, it was just that. I mean, after several years of investigation, litigation, I thought that we had gotten 
what we could and the kind of uh, reckoning that we needed under the extent of the law. Now, I would have liked the Sacklers to go to jail. I would have liked the U.S. Department of Justice not to continue to cut deals with that family and allow them to continue on. That didn't happen. But when I started as attorney general, I said to my team, we're going to sue the Sacklers. We're going to name names because that's the only way there'll be accountability. And then what my team did that hadn't been done before is we spent two years with subpoenas, investigations, and we filed a complaint, Kara, that basically told the whole story of what they did. I was clear I wanted all the documents to be produced and made available online in a public repository of documents, all the emails, the memos, everything. To show what they had done. Right. Because at the end of the day, no amount of money that you were going to recover was ever going to be enough to restore what happened to families victimized by the Sacklers. So we shut down the business. They had to pay up not all of what they made, but a substantial amount of what they made. And I hope that the Justice Department seriously considers reopening this and pursuing criminal uh, charges. Well, let me ask you, I mean, money, this is all money, $6 billion, a lot of money in the new settlement. Still, they still have a lot of money, first of all, and they're not admitting guilt and no one's going to jail. Can there be justice without that? They can say, look, and and I've interacted with different individual Sacklers and I mean, they're just, they're cruel, heartless, incredibly selfish. I don't know where that myopic uh, narcissism comes from, but it's there. So I don't care what they say. They can deny, but the documents speak for themselves. And I think we have told the story of what they did. And that's why you see their names coming off buildings. People don't want to have that association with them anymore. All right. So there's there's no way to, you, the Justice Department is the only way this is going to happen. Do you think there's a case? I think there's a case. I think there's a case and somebody should try to make it. I mean, unfortunately, what happened years ago is that two different justice departments allowed the Sacklers to come in with their attorneys and basically buy their way out of criminal prosecutions through the payment of fines. And, you know, that just that isn't acceptable to me. I did what I could as an attorney general. It was the first time the Sacklers as individuals had ever been named in a lawsuit. I think that took a lot of people by surprise. Um, But Was it enough? Is it enough for those families and what they did? No. All right. Speaking of corporations or leaders who escape accountability, you recently launched an investigation into TikTok and Meta on consumer protection grounds. Can you explain your approach? Obviously, an issue near and dear to my heart, although I think they have other bigger problems than the issues around kids. But why don't you talk about what you're doing there? Oh, uh, I could not agree with you more. And, you know, I'll say at the outset, You know, it's not that I don't come to this with an appreciation for tech and the industry and what it enables. I also think it has completely taken over and run amok, and there hasn't been a good way to deal with it. And you're right, there are all sorts of issues. The one in particular that you mentioned was an investigation by a number of us into the ways in which Meta, Facebook, um, and TikTok were specifically designing the platform and manipulating it to get as many young people watching for as long as possible, when there have been studies showing a connection between that and anxiety, suicidality, body image, and the like. And so we investigated to get to the bottom of it because it's really sort of as a consumer matter. Well, hey, if you're making a product and you either design it or you know that the way in which you designed it is going to harm a consumer, then you're answerable for that. And so we're we're trying to get 
get answers to that. A lot of people think there's not enough research yet. There's signs pointing to yes, but not full proof and more research is needed. What have you found so far? Uh, I'll disappoint you. I can't talk about matters that are under investigation. What I will say is that we are aggressively pursuing this. And, you know, this is an instance where you see Republicans and Democrats coming together to look at this issue because we get complaints from parents in all of our states about the screen time. So um, it's it's the design, you know, of this and the platform and the ways in which they have been using and understanding their own data and algorithms and the effect that's having, and then what they're doing with that information. So we're going to continue to go through with that, and we'll we'll see where that takes us. How cooperative has the companies been? They're not cooperative, meaning not at all. I mean, I mean they're cooperative to to a certain extent, but I think they all know how to slow walk things. They know how to bury uh, public interest law firms and state enforcement offices with lots of documents, lots of obfuscation. I mean, this has been the rule, and I get it. Tech has never wanted government. <laughs> looking at them. and But I have to say that over the years, the level of hubris and arrogance, particularly on the part of Facebook, has really astounded me. They'll come at you and try to sell you with ideas of you know ways in which they're, they're helping out and advancing all this good. And I think a little bit of it is they look at us all as sort of like ill-informed Luddites, right? That we surely possibly couldn't understand their world. So I think there's a little bit of that attitude that they don't take us seriously and figure they can just stall and delay and um, market their way out of this. I think that Facebook is is realizing that may not be the case, but we just want the problem fixed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're trying right now with Ukraine to try to have a better point of view, I guess, and being helpful and, and pushing on Russia. But here they certainly obfuscate is something I've encountered. Well, yeah, that's all well and good. I think it's important. Um, I also saw what they didn't do in 2016 and the results of that. And I saw what they did do all the way through the insurrection and continuing to allow the promulgation of misinformation, disinformation, election deniers, right, that are right at this time so anti-democratic and putting people in harm's way and at risk. So I'm glad, you know, they've had an awakening or they're using their platform to do something that is constructive. But I guess also what that illustrates, Kara, is they've known all along how to do this. They chose not to do it. Right. Do you think you have any power, really? Because so far, you know, Lena Khan let the MGM merger go because she didn't have enough power in, within her own uh, Federal Trade Commission. Attorney generals do this. There's attorney generals on the Google case. They're on the Facebook case. Amazon will come under scrutiny, obviously. Apple. Do you all have power compared to these tech companies, really, from a legal point of view? We're going to find out. I think we do. I mean, I think we've put together some strong cases and we'll see how these litigations go. Some of this is untested, right? I mean, that's part of it. Some of these things have not been tested yet. And so they have to get before a court. And then we'll see whether or not laws need to change. I mean, I think laws need to change. I think that, you know, we need to in this country just understand. And those of us in government, at the state and the federal level need to understand that <laughs> platforms really, they run our lives. It's the way in which people receive their news and information. It's the way they access education, healthcare now, financial services. And so there has to be some effort to make sure that certain principles that we've always sort of lived by in this country that have been important to market economy and the like are kept in place as we see, you know, the evolution in technology and the move to these platforms. So your investigation into TikTok, is that different? Is it a different investigation or is it along the same lines? 
It's similar to the Facebook investigation. We first sent subpoenas out to Facebook a while ago, and similarly, we've done that with TikTok. Is it a different situation given the Chinese ownership? Are you concerned about that? And we're not concerned about it. And TikTok, you know, we know to be particularly more prevalent among young people right now than, than Facebook. I mean, that's where, God knows, in a week or two, it will move on to another entity. But it's just to say that's where the action's at. Is that company more cooperative? I think they've been better than Facebook. Yeah. But everybody, everybody's been better than Facebook, to yeah. be honest. Okay. <laughs> so, but there's still right. time. There's yeah, still time yeah. for Meta to, to come forward and, and cooperate. You wait by that phone. I'm sure yeah. they'll do it. I'm sure yeah. they'll be calling well, soon. We'll see them in court in the meantime. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Patrick radden and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Maura Healy after the break. Over the last 25 years, the world has witnessed incredible progress from dial-up modems to 5G connectivity, from massive PC towers to AI-enabled microchips. Innovators are rethinking possibilities every day. Through it all, Invesco's QQQ ETF has provided investors access to the world of innovation. Be a part of the next 25 years of new ideas by supporting the fund that gives you access to innovative companies. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My name is Thomas Gibbsneff. I'm a journalist at The New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. So you fought dozens of cases against the Trump administration on immigration, education, contraception, and more. A lot of these are just performative, correct? Or were you really going for something? No, we were, I um, strongly reject the premise of that question. All right, okay. <laughs> you know, we saw him try to take away health care, try to take away contraception, go after immigrant communities, cut off SNAP benefits, institute the travel ban, which here in Massachusetts meant that a lot of our companies, our universities, um, didn't have students or professors or workers who were able to return to the United States and Massachusetts to work. It was just like every week he was doing something harmful, rolling back important environmental regulations that had been put in place to deal with greenhouse gases, um, tinkering with the census, which would have had the effect of cutting off federal funding to our states. So, yeah, we sued him um, probably over 100 times based on things he had done that were illegal, unconstitutional, 
and hurtful to our residents or our businesses or the like. And you know what? We won nearly 85% of those cases. We went to court. We got orders to block him. And in blocking him, that was important because it was a way to stop bad things from happening. It was sort of sad that we had to be constantly going to court, but we were successful and it was absolutely necessary to hold the line until he left office. It was largely Democratic attorney generals who were doing this together as a group, correct? That's right. And unfortunately, we couldn't get Republican attorney generals with us. Um, It just is, you know, it's sad. And I've worked well with many Republican colleagues, but I think a lot of them were afraid to join, afraid of Trump, afraid of retaliation, and really getting the you-know-what kicked out of them just for standing up and doing the right thing and applying the rule of law. So he's being investigated from both criminal and civil cases. There are cases investigations in New York, though there's some problems in, in the criminal one. Georgia, Washington, D.C.'s. Which of the cases do you think is most important? Well, these are hard cases. And I'd say the most blatant criminal case is the case that that district attorney in Georgia is handling. Yeah. Remember when yes. Trump picks up the phone and and basically tells somebody to change the results of the election and obstructs you know, justice in the process. So that to me is just incredibly clear cut in terms of a criminal action. Um, But I hope that the investigators and the prosecutors stay with all of this and all of the matters for purposes of getting at the truth. When that happens, Kara, and how that happens, we'll see. Um, Trump doesn't do email or texts. He just tweets or he gets on the phone. People don't flip on him except for Michael Cohen, who has issues. Um, How difficult is that when you're trying to prosecute someone? Well, it's hard when you don't have that smoking gun. But most cases, you don't have a smoking gun. And that's why it takes time. You know, it takes several months. It may take years to build an investigation. And some of that is building information from people who worked for him, showing and exposing their culpability, getting them to flip. And so, you know, this is the way it, it often works in criminal investigations. Do you expect that anything could happen legally that would prevent Trump from seeking a second term? Absolutely. I mean, I think any number of things could happen, including his prosecution. Yeah, but he's Teflon. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything such as legal Teflon? This guy's sort of testing that theory, isn't he? I mean, he is. You know, and unfortunately, he spawned this movement where now you have the likes of a Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and others out there just like, you know, that's part of the problem for the Republican Party. It's like, the party has just lost control of itself. And how do you deal with the vestiges of Trump that play out day to day in the likes of those individuals? Right. Well, speaking of Republicans, there's been a lot of them running Massachusetts. In fact, almost always, except for Deval Patrick. Um, is there a benefit to having a moderate Republican in such a state? Obviously, Baker is quite beloved. Um, so is Romney in a lot of ways. So this probably isn't going to surprise you, but I think all rules are out the window at this point. I think that in this time, what people are looking for is somebody they know who's going to listen to them and and to really get things done. I think that's what people are looking for in government leaders. All right. The WGBH reporter Adam Riley noted, as the campaign ramps up, expect Republicans and maybe even some of Healy's Democratic opponents to accuse Healy of going easier on the state's overwhelmingly Democratic political establishment than she should have. This is one of the issues with voters, why they tend to vote a Republican governor and an overwhelmingly Democratic political establishment. I think it's a little bit different. I'd probably put it that with a Democratic 
majority legislature, which has been the case here for a long time, it's often offered as a reason that Republican governors usually get elected, albeit very moderate Republican governors, um, like a Bill Weld or, or Charlie Baker, current governor. It's to be a sort of a check on the legislature. I think a difference for me, Kara, is I'm coming at this as the attorney general. I've established myself credibly with voters here in Massachusetts as somebody who has never been afraid to stand up to a powerful interest, to take on a tough problem. So I think at the end of the day, you know, I think that there's a lot of support and recognition for, you know, it's a lot of the bread and butter stuff that we do, you know, helping somebody with their student loan, going after the nursing home that did not treat their mother well and she died. It's, you know, protecting workers, protecting consumers, protecting students um, and working within government. Yeah. Um, one of the um, one Republican contender for the governorship, uh, Jeff Deal, has, is someone who lost various state runs before. He's running against another Republican, Chris Dotty, I think, in the primary, leaving aside the attorney general's curse, which people in Boston tend to like to write about that a lot. I'm going to move away from that. And it might have something to do with some wall you have, a baseball wall there, too, that's green, the green monster, <laughs> correct? You yeah. curses everywhere all over well, Boston. Well, no, no attorney general has ever become yes. governor in the state of Massachusetts yes. from, from attorney general. What is the appeal of those Republican candidates? Do you think it is that to hold the legislature to account? It seems to love GOP governors and love its Democratic establishment. Well, I'll tell you what this race is like. Um, this race could not be more clear. Um <laughs> The fellow on the other side is a sought a long time ago Trump's endorsement and basically is running on a Trump agenda. I mean, that is not where this state needs to be in terms of looking after our residents. You know, our colleges and universities, our life sciences, our biotech, our high tech, you know, our fintech. This is this doesn't jive, you know what I mean, with where we are. So they don't want a Trumper. They like a Mitt Romney. They like a Charlie Baker that kind of thing. This guy is very, very much Trump. He's, he seems to be Trump light, more like Glenn Youngkin. He, uh, he may, I don't know. I mean, he may try to paint himself that way, but I, I, um, I know what he is. And, you know, he brought on Corey Lewandowski and they're off and running. But um, I know people in this state were pretty happy with the efforts of my office over the last many years in fighting Trump in court successfully. I had people from all political stripes come up and thank me for for doing that work. So I don't think Trump sells here in Massachusetts, but we'll see. I, I've got my, you know, I've, I've got my my race to, to run. So answer this question for me. Ben Downing, a former state senator, recently said, quote, I don't think any of us have a clear answer for on day one, Governor Healy does what? Can you give me a specific <laughs> Um, I Come think on, people this, know, in, this should be easy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, um, I don't think anybody's confused here in Massachusetts about my policy positions. I've been living and breathing it and taking them over the last seven years, 15 years, really, if you go back to my time as, as head of the Civil Rights Division. So what, you know, what, <laughs> what I am going to make sure we do, Kara, as I think any good CEO of a state needs to do, is to be ready to roll day one. There are a whole bunch of things uh, that need to happen that that I'm looking forward to working on. Um, and really, All right, to can do you what, give me a specific? I'm going to go Katie Couric on you specifically. What do you? Oh my God! There's honestly there are like so many. Okay, give me but, one. Give oh me, my throw God. me a bone. All right. I think the first thing will be having great teams in place. You know, and okay. a diverse leadership. 
uh, representing a diversity of lived experience. A governor gets to appoint 4,000 people, gets to establish and set up agencies. Who runs those agencies, what they look like, that is incredibly important. That's also, you know, that's a day one responsibility. Um, climate, you know, I've, I've talked about what we need to do with climate here in terms of setting up and modernizing our grid. Uh, we've building a lot of wind off the shore here in Massachusetts, and we've got to make sure that we have a Department of Public Utilities that's, that's working on ways to bring that energy across the state, especially right now as people are facing really hard hits when it comes to electricity and heating bills. So those are just, I mean, the, there are, as I say, hundreds of day one um, actions. But I think, you know, what people are really looking for is trust in somebody. And so, you know, it's been fun for me to get out and talk to people. It's been two years. You what know, is a lot their of people, biggest concern? What do they want from Governor Healy then? They want to know that Governor Healy is going to look after their family, their kids' well-being. I've got so, so a many bill people, to do what? Uh, an executive action to do what? Give them? Invest in mental health care. Okay. If you talk to parents right now in our state, I can't tell you the number of families who are dealing with difficulty accessing mental health services. We've got kids who have uh, suffered real deficits in the classroom you know, because of not being in school the last couple of years, parents want to know, how are we going to make it up to our young people and get them to where they need to be? And compounding that, we've got a lot of young people dealing with real mental health issues, people generally dealing with mental health issues. And it's become a campaign priority for me in terms of fixing, um, fixing that and increasing access to mental health. The other thing they're worried about is childcare right now. Um, because a lot of women here have not been able to return to the workforce because childcare is fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year, and it's just too expensive for people to go back. And the third thing, I can tell you, you can talk to any kind of company here. The third thing that they're worried about right now in Massachusetts, I don't know if it's this way in California or elsewhere, workforce. We've got a lot of jobs available, but we haven't matched skills and upskilling to align with jobs that are available here today. That's a big worry for a lot, a lot of people right now. So those are three. Those are specific. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. All right. I'm going to ask you a basketball question at the last one. I, despite my distaste of sports, I call it sports ball. My son is an excellent basketball player, by the way. I have to go to games all the time. And I go, oh, look, the ball's moving around. Anyway, you were once a pro basketball player. Apparently, you're quite good, uh, especially you're not very tall. You're right, 5'4". Is that correct? Yeah, I was a little point guard. <laughs> which is literally a pro basketball player is the most lesbian thing ever, by the way. Um, any lessons from that as you can be? You said once, truly strong women make each other better when they work as a team, when they're not afraid to fail, when the response to an opponent or a bad call by ref is just to fight back harder. Um, does that still counter? Do you, is there any lesson you learn, both negative and positive, from being a basketball player? All positive. I mean, honestly, playing team sports, especially for women, um, it was fantastic. You learn about teamwork and resilience and discipline, all those things as a point guard. So just because I know you don't care no, about you know, basketball. I but care the, a little you bit. You care a little bit. You see yes. what the point guard is? They're sort of like the sort of the point, they're like the quarterback. The, the, they bring the ball up. The first thing they have to do is to be able to handle pressure. And then your job, your your greatest statistic is not scoring points. Your greatest statistic is actually what's called an assist, making passes, making plays so that others can score. And, you know, that's kind of who I am and my vibe. Like, how do we do this together as a team? How do we build team? Because you can have the most unbelievable players on a team, but I would take a better team playing together over individual stars any day of the week. And that's part of what, you know, um, I try to do in, in my work 
um, as as AG and in office. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much uh, uh, for talking about basketball and all the goals you make. That's what I said at the game last time. And my son was just horrified and repulsed by me, which is, you know, about average for a 16-year-old. Well, isn't that normal with, with any mom? I think yelling goal at my son's basketball game was probably a problem. I'm pretty certain. Anyway, I wish you good luck and we'll see what happens in November. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Daphne Chen, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuelewski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza, and the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, along with Healy's explanations of all the other basketball positions, which I don't care about at all, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.